Blog Talk Radio.
welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank all of you for tuning in. This is T-Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, go ahead and post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go, you cannot continue to listen online, simply call us by dialing 347-202-0227. And that way you can listen via phone or please be sure to use your Bluetooth if you are driving about. You know, here at Energy Awareness Radio, we've talked at great length about meditation, being in the present moment, mindfulness, becoming aware, all in an effort to better connect to spirit or source, God, your higher self, the divine, whatever term you choose as your understanding of a greater power. And tonight, we're going to discuss this in a little bit of a different way, integrating our spiritual practice with craft. Now, many people, no, everybody is creative or artsy, but a lot of people just aren't even aware that they have this ability let alone that they're able to craft for specific purposes, such as crafting for calm, crafting for clarity, crafting for contemplation, or even crafting for community. We shall explore all of these possibilities with my guest, Reverend Maggie Oman Shannon, an interfaith minister, spiritual director, workshop and retreat facilitator, and author of five books, Prayers for Healing, the Way We Pray, prower, pow, hmm, Prayer Practices from Around the World, A String and a Prayer, How to Make and Use Prayer Beads, One God, Shared Hope, and Prayers for Hope and Comfort. And in 2000, Maggie founded The New Story, a coaching and consulting business that focused on helping people create deeper meaning in their lives. The former editor of three national magazines, including the Saturday Evening Post, Maggie also served as director of marketing for the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and her work has been featured in publications ranging from the Miami Herald to Spirituality and Health Magazine. She's taught workshops at venues including California Pacific Medical Center's Institute for Health and Healing and Chattaqua Institution in Chattaqua, New York. Now, in addition to being a certified life coach, Maggie completed the three-year training program of the Spiritual Directors Institute at Mercy Center in Burlingame, California. And she is a graduate of Smith College, holds an MA in Culture and Spirituality from Holy Names University, and currently holds the distinct honor of serving as Spiritual Director of Unity Spiritual Center of San Francisco. And tonight she's here to discuss her latest book, Crafting Calm, Projects and Practices for Creativity and Contemplation. So good evening, Maggie. Thank you so very much for taking time to join us tonight. How are you being this evening? Oh, I'm I'm being well. Thanks so much for having me, T. I love talking about the subject, and um, it's just a real delight to be to be here with you tonight. Oh, it's great to have you. I loved your book for so many reasons. I mean, first of all, I think there are a lot of people who don't realize that they are crafty or artsy or creative in that type of a way. And secondly, because you're integrating that with a spiritual practice. And so it's wonderful to actually see that in writing to help people to be able to do that. And I noticed that on the first two pages of your book, it includes testimonials from other authors, some of whom we've had on this show, Polly Campbell, uh, who wrote Imperfect Spirituality, and Alan Klein, The Art of Living Joyfully. Uh, you know, you're 
most definitely in good company, and kudos to you for that. It's always nice to be recognized by your peers for a job well done. And I can say with certainty that your book, Crafting Calm, Projects and Practices for Creativity and Contemplation, is indeed a job well done. I wholeheartedly agree with all of the praise that you received from your peers, and I just absolutely love your book. Oh, thank you so much. No, you are quite welcome. You know, there's so much to discuss in this book, but I'd like to start with the basics, if I may. I'm most definitely a crafter creator myself. I find it to be very relaxing. And for me, it has always been, I didn't realize it, you know, when you're doing things and putting your love into it, but it always has been, I guess, a spiritual practice. How did you come to find crafting to be a part of your spiritual practice? And and what was the catalyst for actually writing this book? Well, it's a great question. I really kind of pinpoint the uh, beginning of my intertwining the two interests of mine around the time I was living in Indianapolis, and it was um, 1994, I guess, and I was uh, just really feeling restless, really feeling like I, I wanted to move to San Francisco. And I had this inner sense of urgency that I've never had before or since that I just, I had to get out here or I would die. It felt that strong and that compelling. And I had attended a workshop at a Unity church uh, that taught the, the um, practice of making treasure maps. Some people use the term vision boards, but it, it's that idea of using images of what you most want in your life and pasting them on a piece of poster board and really spending time with it. So I decided to make one for San Francisco, and I had uh, pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge and a couple walking on the beach and phrases that said things like, you know, anything can happen. And it really became part of my prayer and meditation time. And what I love to tell, because it's absolutely true, is that, Four months after making this treasure map, I was hired by the Institute of Noetic Sciences to move, you know, 2,000 miles here to California. And as a resident of San Francisco, I was required to um, commute to that job, which at the time they were located in Sausalito, uh, over the Golden Gate Bridge. And that was the central image in my treasure map. So it really showed me the power of sort of integrating artistic or craft-oriented practice as part of my meditation and prayer life. And I've continued to make treasure maps throughout my years and then expanded uh, what I enjoy doing. Um, And it's really that which was the catalyst for writing the book, just wanting to share with other people my experiences, um, some of the things I've done that I've found meaningful, and also interviewed other people. So the book also uh, includes other people's stories of what they've done to really blend both their creativity and their spirituality in a meaningful way. That's great because I think everything – you know, and it, to me, it doesn't even matter what it is, even if it's I've, – I've talked about this on the show, too, and people think, well, that's really putting it out there. But, you know, even when you're folding laundry, it becomes so rote that you can't help but get into a, a place of contemplation. And within that space, that's where we create when we're in that the gap between the thoughts. And you can do that with anything. But from your perspective, looking at it from crafting, there are so look at how big the crafting industry is right now. I mean, there are stores dedicated just to craft supplies. 
Mm-hmm. You name it, and they've got everything. So there's a lot of people out there that like that outlet. And I think it's because there's a lot of stress, and this gives them that outlet. And now with your book, they're able to see that it's more than just that. Would you agree with that? I, I would, absolutely. And I would just also add another piece that I think that because our world is so highly manufactured and we're so wired, there's so much technology in our lives, but there's something that's very uh, inherently attractive about working with our hands and maybe using materials that are, you know, that have been used for many, many, many years um, as a way of creating. So it, it's it's sort of a back to a simpler time or back to a, um, a time where we, where we weren't so distracted with so much around us that's, you know, wired or plastic or manufactured by non-human hands. Yes, and, and I think, too, that a lot of people – they they want to do something in order to get away from all that they must do, the things that are required of them. So they do take the option of, well, should I knit, should I crochet, should I cross-stitch, should I do wood burning, should I do scrapbooking, which I think a lot of parents do because it's different in uh, instead of collecting photographs the way that, you know, you just throw them in an album and you had to try to remember it was one photograph after another. Now they can be creative and put things around it and do things like that. And they're, you know, they're really enjoying what it is they're doing and it is enhancing their life. And one of the quotes in your book um, by Osho uh, says, you know, you can be creative only if you love life enough that you want to enhance its beauty. And that pretty much includes everyone because I, I think there are very few people who don't want to enhance their their life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we can love every we can lump everyone together and let them know you are creative, but it might be in varying degrees, but everybody is creative in some way and you know, who knows, you may not even know what you can do because you haven't tried anything yet. I also think it depends upon the project. I mean, people may say they're not creative and yet they may work as a landscaper and do these beautiful designs, but because it's their job, they might not think of it as being a creative outlet, while other people create oil paintings, and that might be what they do for a living. So I don't think it's limited to just what we refer to as arts or crafts, do you? No, and I I think that's such a great point. I was so happy that you said that right at the beginning of your program, because that really is the ultimate message that I'm hoping to convey, and, and you started with it, and it was so great. You know, just to remind everybody that they are creative. Whether you think you are or not, everyone is inherently creative. And so you're absolutely right. It's just a matter of letting yourself explore and play and, um, you know, as much as possible, stripping yourself of all the judgments about something needs to be good or perfect. Um, just, just finding out, just exploring and finding out what it is you're naturally drawn to, um, because it's going to be different for all of us. And then once we do find something that we just naturally resonate with, then it is a wonderful vehicle for deepening uh, both our creative and our spiritual life. Yes, and, you know, you, you must have, that's what you wanted to get across in your book, and it must have come through be, uh, loud and clear to me anyway, because I did start with it because I found it to be important. But I also noticed that throughout the book there are other quotes in there that truly resonate to that a frank schaefer who said exercise the talent god has given you well first you have to find it but then you have to go with it and go with that passion and i think that's something that people have been trying to figure out you know what it is that they want to do and then really work with it so what what you tried to convey i think was in the book often enough so that definitely somebody would get it the other um 
let's see, who was it? Oh, Master Eckhart, Meister Eckhart. I just love him. Um, the artist is not a special kind of man or woman, but every man and woman is a special kind of artist. And if you can get that into your head, you can realize, well, maybe there is something that I can do. I just need to find out what it is, you know. Uh, what, what recommendation could you provide to somebody who says, you know, I don't have an ounce of creativity in my body, so they can open themselves up to find out what they do have and then incorporate that into a spiritual practice? You know, I, I think it's a good thing to just note if somebody's drawn to something to begin with, like if, if you've always admired sculpture or painting or, you know, knitted objects, um, that might give you a clue. But another thing that I recommend is just sort of noting how you basically take in information because we know that people are either – you know, primarily visual or auditory or kinetic, you know, learning through touch and, and um, the tactile senses. And so I think just sort of having a basic understanding of how you take in information will also provide some clues as to what direction to go in. And, you know, what I like to use as an example is myself. I'm, I'm highly visual, so I'm always going to be drawn to something that involves seeing. But for other people, they might really love the, you know, working with their hands or, or taking information better through their body. And so for them, you know, maybe working with clay or working with something that has a texture to it, woodworking you mentioned, you know, that might be a, an arena that you want to begin with. So. I think we have a lot of uh, different places to start, but just kind of knowing where we're, where we seem to be naturally wired uh, might give us uh, a good jumping-off place. And, and maybe if they don't know, they can talk to someone. I mean, I know I'm constantly using the phrase, yes, I can see that. You know, when, when we moved, moved to New Jersey and uh, it was time to do the landscaping in the yard, I could see it finished. So I right. knew what I wanted it to look like. And when, if you hear how you speak, if you really listen to how you speak and hear it, don't just listen to the words going out, but really hear it, you will be able to determine, okay, I guess I can see things. So then I can, how do I go about turning them into something? Because there's so, I mean, there's so much out there to do that's creative. It's not, it's not like it's limited to one thing. You don't have to just sit and knit. You don't have to sew. You don't have to cook. There's an, an entire arena of things. I just discovered this year that I like grilling. So, you know, <laughs> I never had a grill before. I love to cook and bake, and I thought, I can't grill. And then I got a grill, and I said, oh, yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a creative outlet. <laughs> and it's that wonderful that wonderful uh, permission that you gave yourself to just try it. You know, you didn't even think you were good at it, but you allowed yourself to try and experiment and find out that you, you actually were and that you can do it. And that's kind of also a, a message in the book is, is – Try as much as possible to just, you know, shake off all those societal expectations and the ones that, um, you know, you've you've maybe internalized and just have fun playing. And if nothing else, you know, maybe go to the drugstore or, a, you know, um, a basic art supply store and buy kids' finger paints. I mean, that could be a great thing to do just to, to start with that and – just let yourself explore the feeling of the finger paints on your fingers, you know, the pretty colors. Um, let yourself slap the paper. Just have the joy of working with the materials and um, go from there. Yeah, go back to, because, I mean, we have so much to learn from children. Look at how they are. They just do. They just are in the moment. Talk about being. 
You know, they are just being. They are doing what they should do. They are just being and learning and exploring and having fun and living in full joy. And and that comes out in your book, too, because as you just said a few seconds ago, you know, you didn't think you were good at grilling. No, I actually knew I wasn't good at grilling. I thought, I can't do that. I put a limit on myself because I'm an adult where a child would have said, well, I'll try it, you know. And so I still haven't learned that yet, but I have always found creative outlets to be very calming and and sacred because I've always believed I'm giving of myself to whatever it is I'm creating, be it cooking food, creating a design for my garden, a labyrinth, knitting, cross-stitching. It didn't matter. I'm putting of myself into my creation, and I feel I am therefore giving a part of myself. I'm infusing whatever I'm doing with my love, total love energy, And I I know in the conclusion of your book, you stated that you hope to demonstrate that everything can be holy every moment and to approach everything in our lives as a spiritual practice. All we need to do to experience the state is to make a decision to do so. And I couldn't agree with you more. It's a beautiful statement and it's a phenomenal way to live your life. But it's not always easy. And these are really challenging times and everyone has a lot on their plate right now and some of it's not fun how can someone actually shift their perspective and make that decision to approach life spiritually and easily and and know that, okay, I'm looking at this, I'm going to approach everything as a spiritual practice? Mm-hmm. You know, part of my inspiration, <laughs> yeah, it's a big question, so I want to see if I can, if I can kind of chunk it down a little bit. Um, and there's another quote that I want to give you that has been an inspiration of mine for uh, a number of years, and it comes from Catherine of Siena, who said that everything you do can be a prayer. So she basically was saying that very idea that potentially, you know, we can go through life and everything can be a prayer. And other people have have said it. Um, there's a book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And he actually talks about what you did uh, a few minutes ago about washing dishes, you know, that even washing dishes can be a prayer. So that's always intrigued me, that idea of how you know, how often, how much we can train ourselves to go through our days like that, you know, holding that as an intention. And it is so hard to get off track. I mean, and and that's what I'm hoping that some of these ideas um, will be helpful for is little reminders, things that we can do and, you know, things that we can create and then keep in front of us or around us or in our pocket to pull out when we need a reminder that there is an order to the world even when we can't see it and that there is a higher meaning and a higher vision to return to even when we feel kind of slapped down. Um, so that's that's what my hope is for these ideas that I'm presenting is that people will see them, you know, not just crafting for craft's sake, although there is – you know there is a um wonderful benefit from that which i you know talk about i mean just the process of creating can be very nurturing but also the product can be a reminder uh for you of you know your your higher self your higher vision and increasingly i think we need those reminders because our world is so complex and we are so busy yes and you know, I love that um, that you did that quote because that you spoke that quote because everything can be a prayer. 
Okay, that makes so much sense. It's so funny because people think of the the word prayer as being a specific poem or prose that is given to you in a synagogue or a temple or a church or wherever where you that's a prayer and nothing else is. And they right. don't realize that everything is a prayer. I mean, it, it, what came to my head immediately was I remember living in a house where there were we had a linen closet and the linen closet shelves were wood and you could see the edges of the wood. And I didn't mind that, but I, I really don't like doing laundry and folding clothes. You know, it's just like, I just hate doing it. So what I did is I took Hamburg lace, which is white lace that you string a ribbon through. And I put it on the edge of each shelf and it was white lace with purple ribbon. And people, when they would open the door, they'd say, why is there ribbon on, you know, ribbon and lace on the edge of the shelves. And I said, because I don't like to fold clothes, but at least I know when I'm folding them, when I put them away, I look at something pretty that I like. Mm. And even that is kind of a, it's it's almost a ritual. Like, well, this doesn't make it as bad because I'm going to be looking as crazy as that sounds. For some reason, it made me, that what you said, everything is a prayer, reminded me of that because you can turn anything into something positive and everything positive is a prayer. And again, I believe it was Meister Eckhart, who said, if the only two words you ever say are thank you, that is enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's right. a prayer. You Absolutely. Know? A- absolutely. And I love your story. I think that's such a beautiful example of, um, you know, small things can have such big impact. And I, I think hand-in-hand hand with the subject is the is the subject of beauty or creating beauty, just being mindful about wanting to to add beauty where we can um, because beauty is healing and beauty is restorative and beauty can completely shift the energy of a task just as you, you know, really beautifully described. So I'm so glad that you shared that story. And it is, just to go back a little bit to what you were um, wondering about this idea of the definition of prayer, you know, as you stated, you know, I I used to think of prayer as being the <clears throat> you know the sanctioned words that you would say that you learned as a child and sometimes they had these and thous in them and you you know mm-hmm. said them with bowed head and so as I've gone through my research and my explorations I have really broadened my conception of what prayer is and I was delighted to find out, and this was from a mentor of mine who I mentioned in the book. She's a cross-cultural anthropologist named Angelus Arian, who also wrote a book some of your listeners may be familiar with called The Fourfold Way. And other, she was on the uh, show. Oh, fantastic. Okay, great. So, yeah, I told you. I got a lot of your buddies on this show. Excellent. Yeah, she's so fabulous. And she found in the course of her research that in every culture – prayer was seen as a way of setting sacred intention. So Mm -hmm. if we hold prayer, you know, if we define prayer with that kind of expansive, spacious definition, then indeed everything we do can become a prayer. Um, And just as you described, putting beautiful bits of lace with a lavender ribbon through them in your hall closet, that that was a form of prayer. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was creative. It was something I had to do so that it made the task at hand a whole lot easier to bear. Now, mind you, I wasn't looking at it the whole time I was folding the clothing or the towels. But when I put everything away, it just looked so pretty, and it made me happy. And when you're happy, you are in a sacred space. That's true. There's no doubt. 
Yeah, I, you know, um, as this book has come out, I, I've had you know lovely opportunities to, you know, talk to great people like you and and you know write some pieces on thoughts. And I, I wrote an essay on beauty for the website inspiremetoday.com. But I I talked about beauty and how deeply important it is for me that I really see it not only as a um, practice, but even as a calling or as a political statement, because we live in a world that doesn't always contain beauty. In fact, contains the opposite. And anything we can do to elevate our spirits, to elevate our senses, to create little bits of beauty, uh, just as you described, they're important. They're not frivolous. Um, It is it is so inherent or um, what's the word I'm looking for? It is so important to keep our spirits high as much as possible because that is how we create. We can't create when we're depressed. Um, but uh, the world is calling calling all of us to lend our creative gifts to it. And, and the best way that we can do that is to just remember that that which we love and that which is worth praising. So get me yeah. started on beauty and I'll I'll talk the rest the rest <laughs> of the half hour. Well, you know, it's funny because you can create when you're depressed, but what you're creating isn't going to be good. You're not going to like it and it's only going to bring you down further. So that's not really where you want to be when you're trying to actually create something good and you're right we are so saturated with all these visions because the technology brings everything right to our door there is no it's not a printed newspaper without photographs and you read and you have to use your imagination my god some of the things i see i couldn't imagine and i don't know what minds make some of it up and some of it's reality and it is very scary and it is horrible and that's what we live with we are saturated with it so you know you need to do these other things that allow you a creative outlet and you know, in, in your, the name of your book, of course, is Crafting for Calm, but you actually have many sections um, within the book, among which include Crafting for Clarity, Crafting for Contemplation, and Crafting for Community, as I stated at the beginning of the show. And these sections, I think, actually help the reader to be more creative because you think about what you would like to be crafting for, which is a very clever way to help the reader pass along the higher vibrational energies, from my perspective anyway. I mean, that's what I do for a living. I work with energy. So to me, keeping the energy up there and positive is of the utmost importance, and I like the way that the book, to me, guides the person to do that. Is that what you were trying to do with all these various sections that you separated out? Yeah, and I wanted to be, um, you know, not too rigid about it. So anybody picking up the book, you know, I, I do have five practices per section, per each of the eight sections on different things you can do if you want to be comforted, if you want to feel calm, if you want to create community. But there's overlap, of course, with all of them, and mm. potentially any one of them could could give you all eight benefits um, that I explore. Um, but, yeah, sometimes we just know that we're perhaps grappling with a question. You know, maybe there's a question that we're really grappling with. And then going first to a practice that's under the clarity section might be helpful to you. So um, at any given time, we're different things are are up for us and i do think that that um turning to these creative practices as a spiritual practice can give us great information or um 
comfort or whatever it is that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. We are talking with Maggie Oman Shannon, author of Crafting Calm. You can learn more about Maggie by going to her website, and I'm going to spell this for you. It's MaggieOmanShannon.com. So it's M A G G I E O M A N Shannon S H A N N O N dot com. Maggie, uh, so many of the things in it were were just so the projects were wonderful and they were very interesting. Prayer shawls, for instance, that's a great way even though it doesn't fall under the crafting for community, it's a great way to get involved in a community project, I think, because uh, I know that once once or twice I've been asked to participate in knitting a prayer shawl for a few person, a few people. And, you know, it's so rewarding because it touches you that you're part of a group of people working on the shawl, but it really touches the recipient as well. They know how many people took time to work on it. And I believe it gives them such strength and courage. And that was one project that I thought, wow, yeah, that is a really cool thing to do. And I'm sure any project where a bunch of people work on it together is rewarding for both the person working on it and the recipient. And even though that one didn't fall under, um, you know, what one would think would be crafting for community because it's like a community thing, it, it still made sense to me that it would be, something that you could do for the community. But your crafting for community is a little bit different. Would you like to talk about that? Sure. But before I do, I just want to say something funny about the particular thing that you're mentioning, because I actually talk in the book about how, like you, I was so inspired by people who were knitting prayer shawls. And I wanted to do it with all my heart. With all my heart, I wanted to learn how to knit uh, a prayer shawl so that I could make it part of my ministry and I couldn't learn how to knit. I couldn't do it. I tried it. I was so, so um, bad at it. I even went out and bought a book called Knitting for Dummies, which I just, you know, on principle, I usually don't buy that kind of book. But I was so desperate to learn, still couldn't do it. So the reason I wanted to just uh, bring it forward in the course of our talk is that I want people to know that you're not going to be good at everything. You know, I'm not good at everything. And um, and so I give you ideas for how you might be able to take a shortcut if you find out that something isn't your um your oeuvre, your you know, your particular mm-hmm. talent and and just wanna encourage people to know that I don't know if there's anybody on the planet who can be proficient and excellent at everything. So no. that's part of the process. It's just to know that that um you're not going to be good at everything, and that's a-okay, and it's just about exploring different things, trying out different things to find out what you are good at and to find out what you do enjoy. So um, with that being said, uh, you were asking me about community, and a tack that I took in the book is that, yes, not only do you have the the enjoyment of creating in community, which things like knitting prayer shawls can do, or um feeling yourself a part of the community, which happens when you give them, you know, something that you've made. But uh, you can do projects that sort of enhance your sense of being a community. And one of the projects that I talk about is making a talking stick. So um, if you're a part of a group like a women's or men's support group or, you know, whatever kind of personal interest group you might be a part of, you can actually make a talking stick collectively 
to use in your group meetings uh, when each it's each person's turn to to talk and lend their voice to the circle. You can also make crafts to support the community that maybe the community never sees, but there's also a story in the book that I feel very honored to have been able to interview a Native American elder and wisdom keeper, and he shares his story about making prayer arrows for a classroom he was teaching, and one of the the uh, students was sort of problematic, and he made prayer arrows and placed them in secret uh, in different places of the room just to kind of hold, you know, the larger intention for the learning environment and that um, everybody be nourished and nurtured, and I really love that story. So, yeah, community is a is a very interesting thing to look at and, and many different ways to create with community in mind. And feel like you belong as well, like you're part of something bigger. So it doesn't have to be just creating for your own home, you know, or your own self, but or even just to give away as a gift, but it's it's for something much larger. I think that it brings a whole new kind of feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like that story too, the prayer arrows. I liked, um, you know, the prayer beads, the prayer arrows, uh, the collage of mandalas, I think, was under there as well, and prayer ribbon weaving. Yeah, there were so many things that were very, very good about that. And, you know, children love to create. And when they, if they start young, you can really see how their little imagines, imaginations flourish and, and how far they can take their ideas, and it's really fun to watch. What are some projects that you feel children could get into the spiritual aspect part of in the creation process? You know, to a certain extent, you know, probably all of them, uh, there could be a, a simplified way for kids to access them. I write in the book about my own daughter who just turned 10, and I really love to watch her create. She She's a crafter and, and loves to save things and make crafts and has this wonderful imagination. Uh, so I really, you know, and it's funny because I did have a conversation um, with someone, and as I spoke, I realized how much interest I have in that, you know, in that very thing of of really bringing them to a younger audience because I just think how empowering it would be for kids, you know, to be able to retain that sense of themselves as being creative and also have that spiritual component mixed in with it so that they can make things that support their life's intention as they're growing up. Um, things that come to mind to answer your question, uh, you know, that a, that a child can make in a, in a simplified way and with supervision would be like a power pouch where they're creating a, a pouch to carry things that represent uh, either things they love or things that they feel are part of them. Um, altars uh, kids can make. Um, you know, the rock cairns. My daughter has always loved sticks and stones, and uh, we actually created a little altar for her in our living room because she was constantly bringing home these these pieces of nature. And so, um, you know, that could be something you could work with kids, uh, you know, as both a, a craft and a spiritual practice. So I, I really see pretty much all of them in the book as being a form of of craft that a, a child could easily, you know, adapt. 
I love the little prayer rock project. <laughs> I love that. I, I love rock. And and I have a gratitude rock, and I use it every day. And, you know, at night before I go to bed, I say, you know what, I'm grateful for the best thing that happened during the day. And But that's a designated rock. I didn't make the rock. I just have a rock. <laughs> but this is this is very different, and I like the prayer rock a lot because it's not just crafting or creating the rock. It's also providing strength and faith and trust to the recipient, you know, whether it's the person who made it or if they're gifting it to someone. To me, it goes well beyond crafting, crafting, and it truly enhances your spiritual practice significantly, I believe. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah, I do. And that, and that's really the point behind all of the different activities, the, the different suggestions in the book is just, you know, creating something, crafting something to take you to a deeper place, to remind you of that which is most important and sacred to you, um, just to just to have something to hold on to, a literal touchstone. You know, you're talking about rocks, and, and I love the metaphor of a touchstone, you know, something that you literally can hold on to to remind yourself of the highest and best. And so I, I do see um, all of the crafts as, as holding that potential. Not always. And that's something I want to say too. I mean, you know, to paraphrase Freud who said a cigar, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, you know, sometimes yeah. a craft is just a craft, um, you know, and, and that's fine too. But I think there's always an invitation to take it deeper. And that's what the book is, is hoping to convey. Yes, and, and I'll agree with, with Freud on that. Sometimes a craft is just a craft. When you find out something and you have to get it done quickly, you're not in that place. You're just trying to get something done. You need to quickly throw something together. There's going to be a party. You have a string of Christmas Christmas lights. Take the Dixie cups, cut an X in the bottom, and throw them over <laughs> each light, hang it up, and you've got to, you know what I mean? So it, right. that's not really, you're just very quickly saying, how are we going to do this? Or the bride's ready to walk down the aisle, something happens, and somebody pulls you out of the pew and says, can you come sew up the back of the dress? Well, you know, I'm not sitting there sewing up the back of the dress and, you know, and going, oh, I'm sewing up the back of the dress. <laughs> you know, I'm hurrying so she can get down the aisle. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'll agree with that. But we're talking about this <laughs> in a totally different realm. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's something that you can incorporate into into what you would want it to be. I there was the the prayer rock rhyme which I loved. I, I think this is one of the reasons I first of all like I like rocks. But I this little rhyme is so cute. I'm so glad you included it in your book. I just fell in love with it. Would you mind if I read it? <laughs> no, not at all. No, it, it, it was something. It's anonymous. I I um you know tried to find the attribution, and as far as I know, you know it's one of those author unknowns. But it is a lot of fun. So please do read it. It, yeah, it's a great little little poem. It's called The Prayer Rock Rhyme. I'm your little prayer rock, and this is what I'll do. Just put me on your pillow till the day is nearly through. Then pull back the covers and climb into bed. Whack, your little prayer rock will hit you on the head. <laughs> this will remind you as the day is through, it's time to say your prayers like you wanted to. Then when you are finished, just dump me on the floor, and I'll stay through the night to give you help once more. When you get up the next morning, clump, I stubbed my toe. So you will remember your prayers before you get up and go. Put me back on your pillow when your bed is all made. You clever little prayer rock will remain as you are as your aid. Because your heavenly Father cares and loves you so, He wants you to remember to talk to Him. You know, I just thought that is really cute. I mean, that's a great little prayer for kids. You know, I like it. I'm an adult, so it's a great little prayer for me. <laughs> 
Yes, I really, uh, you know, I just thought that is so cute. So they can make the rock and then they understand why the rock is there. It's a reminder, you know, and I think it would give them strength and, 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 and trust and faith in all that they're doing and to say thank you at the end of the day. I just, I don't know. That's just really struck a chord with me, I guess, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's you know, you had, you had a lot of things in there that did, you know. Um, Kent Nurburn, also on the show, um, once you love an art enough that you can be taken up in it, you're able to experience an echo of the great creative act that mysteriously has given life to us all. It may be the closest any of us can get to God. And I think it's because when you're in the midst of doing what you love to do and you're passionate about it and you go in with that, I'm going to put all my love into it. Love is the greatest energy. Yes, of course, that's when you're closest to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And the idea, you know, speaking to that idea, um, the idea that you can actually infuse the object with your love, with your energy, I think is a powerful one. And there's a part in the book where a woman talks about her bread making uh, meditation Mm -hmm. and how she has this you know very complex um, set of associations she she has a childhood memory of picking berries on a mountain with her grandmother and and baking bread and she still continues to do it and really feels that as she's kneading the bread dough she's you know infusing the batter with her love and with her prayers for the person so that when they actually eat the bread they are literally ingesting, literally taking in her love and her prayers for them. And I, I, I think that's such a wonderful idea, too. Yeah, I thought I liked that as well, the, um, you know, because when you're, well, if you're making homemade bread and you're kneading it, you're really, like you said, it's tactile. You're, you're touching it. You're, you're kneading the bread. You're really getting into it. Anything that you're doing, if you want to do it, if you really want to do it, that's where the sacredness comes in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, any project, it doesn't even matter what it is. If you really want to do that, if you really have a desire to make it for yourself or for someone else or for a, a huge community event or something, I think that's when it, and that's when things come out the best. You know, they say bake it with love or cook it with love or make it with love. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the word that kept that kept coming up was the word intention. You know, that what shifts a craft from being, you know, from being just a craft to being a craft with a spiritual meaning or, a, you know, as a spiritual practice is that intention to make it so. So sometimes bread's just going to be bread, um, but if the intention is brought there, that it be a vehicle of nourishment and that it hold the love and prayers of the maker for the eater, uh, then it becomes something else. So, yeah, intention really is the key. How did you determine or how did you find all these people to give you these stories? You know, a lot of them, it's, the the book itself is really um, in some ways such a highly personal uh, work for me because in addition to being the first book that I've written in the first person where I'm really sharing my own stories, uh, some of these people are just wonderful people who have crossed my path along the way, um, many of whom 
you know, statistically, I don't know how many, but I can think of three offhand who are spiritual directors themselves. And so the woman I just mentioned who uh, talks about the bread meditation, she and I bonded over prayer beads, actually. She and I met at a spiritual director's conference, and we both loved each other's prayer beads, and so we traded. Um, And then I knew that she had written a book on baking bread. So when I was putting the book together, I thought, you know, to email her. She lives in Maryland. I live in California. Um, And just asked her if she'd like to contribute. And so, you know, little associations like that, just people who've crossed my path or people I heard of. You know, I might ask someone, um, you know, one woman gave me the – the resource of the man who is a weaver. His name is Blossom, and uh, he's sort of created like this monastery, this this community of weavers. And so I I just by happens fans found found out about him. So it was just this wonderful journey, really. Um, in some ways, it, it sort of begs the comparison to a weaving or a tapestry. Just different threads and strands from my life or you know people would mention something and it just all came together and and was woven into this this wonderful uh, collection of stories and each one is so poignant there's not anything that is really mundane about any of them you know mm-hmm. I, you, you read them and you get something from I did anyway you get something you could see from their perspective in the way that you wrote or however they told you the story you were the one that put it you know pen to paper and it comes across where you feel what what they could get from what their craft that they were doing mm-hmm. I like that That's you know great. that really yeah that came across really loud and clear too. I love your book. I think this book is actually a very good book for someone who, there are so many people who are doing crafting out there and you know the holidays are coming, people have birthdays all year long and anybody who's into crafts would truly enjoy this book because they, it may shift them a little bit and have them think about the way that they do their crafts if they're not already you know, thinking about it in the way that the book discusses it. And it would be great to add it to, you know, if you want to get somebody knitting needles and yarn, get them the book to go with it. You know, you want to get somebody a wood-burning set, get them the book to go with it. Something, even somebody who cooks, cookbooks and this, because when you are baking or cooking, it is an art. It really is an art. And it takes time to do it. I mean, I've cooked just to sustain life, and I've cooked (laughs) because it's an art. I'd prefer the cooking because it's an art, <laughs> you know, but a lot of times you just cook to put food on the table because people are rushing around everywhere and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, that was exactly the hope, you know, is that um, people would find inspiration in it. So thanks so much. They absolutely do. Now, what about you? Do you have favorite projects that you like to create? I do. You know, there are certain ones that I that I go back to. The treasure mapping is one. I definitely continue that practice and I've you know, I'm constantly myself taking workshops just to try different things out. So I recently uh, actually hosted a workshop here at the church um that was on soul collage, which is a I guess copyrighted process by a woman who wrote a book about it, but it's a, a wonderful way of making um cards like a 
a, a tarot deck or just a personal wisdom deck of images. And it, it corresponded to something I talk about in the book called prayer cards, where you can make your collage prayer cards. Um, and so that's something that I've recently tried that I really enjoyed. I've, I've taken uh, courses on making Fimo beads, making beads out of Fimo clay, and I learned just enough in that class to learn that I never want to do that again. But I have, you know, such such admiration for people who do do it because it's difficult. It's a complex uh, task, and um, uh, it was it was a wonderful experimentation to find out. You know, but I don't want to continue. And so, uh, again, I want to encourage people to do that because that's all grist for the mill as well. Um, I also, prayer beads have been a a constant in my life. And my third book I I co-wrote, and it was on making personal prayer beads, whether or not they've been part of your religious uh, background. You know, everyone can make prayer beads or intention beads uh, for a particular goal or a particular um, uh, aspect of your life. So I've made prayer beads for my marriage, my child, uh, a beloved pet who died, um, a business, uh, my ministry. So that's that's one that I, I return to again and again as well. And that's really neat. You know, and isn't it true that you try things and you realize, oh, well, at least from this I understand something I do not want to do. I will never, <laughs> I shall never undertake this task again, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of yeah, it. Yeah, for me, for me, it was pottery. I love pottery. It's beautiful. And I took a class to throw pottery, and they said, you have to cut your nails. And I said, okay, we're, it's, it's not happening. I have long <laughs> nails. I'm sorry. I garden. And they're like, but you garden. And, and I said, yeah, but when I garden, I like take my fingernails and I scratch them into a bar of soap so that they don't break. And then when you take a shower, you don't have dirt under your nails. When you're throwing pottery, you can't do that. You know, it's going to create, no, I'm not, I'm sorry, this won't work. That's also why I couldn't take piano lessons. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, we all have our own individual approaches and and interests, and yeah, and that's all part of it. It's It's a wonderful way to discover more about yourself, too. Sure, yeah, what your limits are and, and how addicted you are to your fingernails you know, or whatever. Exactly. You know? And yet when they break, I cut them all back and go, oh, well, they'll grow. But I was not doing it. For the, you know, I was like, no, I'm not doing it for this. Because I didn't want to fall in love with something that I couldn't, you know. I mean, it's crazy, but, you know, everybody has a different thing. And I think the the best part of your book is there's such a variety of things that people can try to do. I mean, such a variety of of crafting, for instance, the the prayer decks and the arrows and the rocks and you know prayer shawls and so many different things that you can think about and realize. Because I think most people think of the standards, you know, knitting, crocheting, sewing, uh, scrapbooking. They might not even think of wood burning as being a craft or being able to do something with it. But if you walk through the aisles of one of those stores, you know, and go up and down, you'll see a multitude of things that you could begin to do. And mm-hmm. and that's what's important is to try anything. And it's wonderful to be able to try things. And your daughter, you said, she uh, she likes to do certain things as well. So you're definitely getting her into all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it reminds me, um, I was on Facebook last night, and I somebody posted this poem from the Sufi poet Hafiz, which I haven't looked up yet, um, but it was such a lovely poem, and it was about children, and it was about how they're able to hear the only four words that God ever speaks, 
you know, in, in so in this beautiful mystic way, the the poem was presented that children are the only ones who can hear the only four words that God speaks, which are, "Come dance with me." And I thought it was so lovely, um, and and I feel that that is, you know, really a, a message of the book. That idea of just come dance, you know, come dance with the God of your understanding, you know, as you said, no matter how you define that, higher intelligence, higher power, the universe, um, God, you know, however you define that, it's about dancing with that through color, through texture, through art material. And such joy can be found in that. Oh, that yes, and that is beautiful. I, that that would be an interesting thing to look up. I would be interested in learning more about that as well. You know, I'm not trying to read your whole book on air, but there's another poem. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I there's love it. That will actually close out the show really well because we only have about four minutes left. At, uh, the dancer, Martha Graham, she wrote a very compelling passage about why we need to honor, and it's funny that you just talked about dancing, why we need to honor such stuff as dreams are made of. And you know, and such stuff as our lives are made of. It's always because, and here is her poem, there is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly to keep the channel open. I loved that. Mm-hmm. I got to that and I thought, that's just beautiful. And that is toward the end of your book. Uh, it, it's, it's just a great poem. And it really, it really does speak to how we all need to just, you know, go for our dream and do it. And, and you never know. You don't know what it's going to bring. But you have to share it so that you can learn and others will be able to, you know, it's like brainstorming. It just gets better and better, and it raises everybody's vibration. Um, And then, you know, having said that, I think that just on a closing note, Oscar Wilde said something that really touched me too. To live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist. That is all. And that's sad, you know. And through creativity, you will start to live and not just exist. And it's a beautiful thing. But we're almost at the top of the hour. But before we say goodbye, Maggie, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and your work and how they can purchase your book, Crafting Calm, Projects and Practices for Creativity and Contemplation? Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, my book is available online on my website, um, on online retailers, as well as in traditional uh, independent bookstores. You can find out more about me through my website, through my Facebook page. I set one up to have a dialogue to create a community on Facebook. So if you do a search for crafting as a spiritual practice, you'll find me. I'd love you to to join me. And then if you're in San Francisco, come check out our Unity Spiritual Center of San Francisco. I'm here every Sunday, and our services are at 11, and we'd love to meet you. Oh, that's great. You know, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know that you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, and tonight is no different. This was a fabulous show. Send the link to this show to all of your friends and family so that they can be made aware of all the wonderful things that are offered here at Energy Awareness Radio. All of my guests share their time freely. They give us a minimum of 60 minutes of their day to help us all 
And as you are all aware, they do it at no charge. You pay nothing for the wisdom and knowledge that you receive here at Energy Awareness Radio from all of these wonderful guests who share their time and expertise with us. So please, please be sure to share, pass the word, make others aware so they too will be able to grow and learn and make this world better for everyone. Thank you again, Maggie. I truly appreciate your taking time to be here and share all of your knowledge with all of us. I, I had fun. I had a ball. Oh, thank you so much. See, I had fun too. And you were such a wonderful interviewer. I just really appreciate your um, wonderful questions and comments and support of the book. No, thank you so much. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. So go ahead, get out your calendar, and note it now so that you remember to tune in next week. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archived list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the year. Look for the next Crystal Bowl concert as well. That will probably be in mid-September. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. It's not a hand.